Bam 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 Hi everyone, welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. You know the drill. Every week we read, review, critique, analyze, and share with you a popular self-help book. We read the book so that you don't have to, because let's be fucking real. We're all soups biz. Yeah. I hate myself for saying it. (laughs) We're soups stressed. Yeah. And uh, if you like what you hear, go read the book. Yeah. Okay? We're done telling you. Read it if you want to know more. Or, Or maybe you hear it and you don't like it. Yeah. Also, that's Misty Stennett. That's Lisa Linky. And I just removed a pair of needle nose pliers from Misty's hand, <laughs> and I'm going to set them to the side. Listen, idle hands are the devil's plaything. So Thank let's you. see how this one goes. Guys, we're here to help you get the life altering perspective and life changing self help advice that you've been craving, or maybe somebody's been trying to jam down your throat for yeah, years. Yeah, remember when that rando walked up to you on the street and started yelling at you? That's what they were trying to say. Also, that was your aunt, and she bought you a book at Christmas and you didn't read it. Yeah. So please read it. Yeah, and she's mad you didn't notice her haircut. So just write her that apology letter and get that errand paralysis off your list. Or send her the four agreements and tell her not to take anything personally. Don't take anything personally. Lisa, Yes. what do you have? Guys, I am pleased to bring you... And by guys, we mean all genders. I know. You know what? That is something that I I, I'm just... We're all working on it. We're all working on it. Yeah. Do you think... Do you... uh, Do you feel like women get mad by saying guys? Some do. Yeah. The only time that ever happened to me is when I was waiting tables in the South and I went up and said, hey, are you guys ready to order? And this one woman Mm. in a very bright pink pastel (laughs) suit said, I don't see any man sitting at this table. Oh. And I said, cool. Do you know what you want to order? (laughs) Because I do. It's a soup and a salad. What did she she leave you for tip? What percentage? (sighs) Listen, I worked at a restaurant <laughs> where their goal was to feed America for under $10 a plate. I didn't mm-hmm. get that that meant a dollar to $2 per turn for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't great. Okay. And she wanted to shame me. And I said, you can't shame a shamer. Because I, I already know Because <laughs> I'm shaming myself enough. I'm Thank from you. the Midwest. Thank you. Moving on. Eat shit. Okay. Before um, I interrupted you. That's fine. So people. <laughs> and. All creatures. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I'm bringing you 10% happier. How I tamed the voice in my head, reduced stress without losing my edge, and found self-help that actually works. A true story by Dan Harris. Ooh, that is a mouthful. Yeah, it's a number one uh, New York Times bestseller, and I read the fifth anniversary edition, which had a new preface and new guided meditations. Ooh, just after just five years, it's very bold. Yeah, well, um, Gretchen Rubin, who is the author of The Happiness Happiness Project, Project, says it's startling, provocative, and often very funny. Oh my God, Gretchen, are you here with us? Because... (laughs) She uh, she does she's not a very funny person. Uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, said a book that will help people. Simply put, and, oh, um, are there a pos- are there a ellipses in that? No. Nope. Oh. GQ said <laughs> part science, part memoir, and part self help. Harris outlines specific ways he learned to well chill the fuck out. <laughs> and the New York Times said it's a book. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
great. I'm already getting a sense of how you feel about this book. Great, yeah. It was written in 2014, again, reprinted in paperback 2019. Um, the Audible uh, is 3079, read by Dan Harris himself. Great. The Kindle is 1199, paperback 1199, and a hardcover is a cool 1439. Ooh. Of course, you can always get some of these used at much cheaper prices. That's right. They might be in a little free library nearby in yeah. your neighborhood. They might be on the Overdrive app for free. Yeah. If you live near Misty, you might find some of the books we've covered oh. in your local free library. Oh, my God. I uh, donated. I cleared out a ton of books this weekend and yeah. put them right in a little free library. So some's get, someone is getting an intense dose of self-help. Of that and including The Big Leap with all of your notes inside. Oh, see, now, I have been keeping them for um, future donations to people who want them. Mm, that's wise. Some some sixth grader is going to get some real No, I real would never torture a sixth grader with self-help. Can I tell you about Daniel B. Dan Harris? I'm, I'm sorry. No, we can't gloss over that. Daniel B. Dan? Daniel B. is B is his middle name, but he goes by Dan Harris. Oh, Dan, oh like quote unquote Dan? Yes. Oh, Jesus. Uh, born in July 26, 1971. <gasps> That's my sister's birthday, not the year. Okay. Goodbye. He is a correspondent for ABC News, an anchor for Nightline, and a co-anchor for the weekend edition of Good Morning America. Oh. He joined ABC News in 2000. He anchored the World News Sunday from 2006 to 2011 and frequently anchors World News, ABC World News Tonight, uh, Weekend Editions, and Nightline. He is also a frequent contributor to World News. He also anchored ABC's coverage for Hurricane Katrina in September 2005. Mm. In October 2010, he was named the new co-anchor for the Weekend Edition of Good Morning America, succeeding Bill Weir. In October 2013, he was named a co-anchor for Nightline, succeeding Bill Weir. So Bill Weir moved out and Dan Harris moved in. Mm. Uh, Harris has reported on a series of events such as the mass shootings in Newtown, Connecticut. Newton or Newtown? I I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, And apparently neither can Congress. Aurora, Colorado, and Tucson, Arizona. (laughs) And he's covered various uh, natural disasters from the earthquake in Haiti to Myanmar to New Orleans. Wow. So he's seen a lot. Oh, yeah. He's also reported on combat in Afghanistan, Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank. And he's made six visits to Iraq. Peter Jennings personally asked him to lead ABC's news coverage of faith. He scored one of the first interviews with former pastor Ted Haggard after his sex and drug scandal. In 2013, he covered the papal conclave at Vatican City, which elected Pope Francis. Harris also interviewed Eckhart Tolle, out of which grew his interest in mindfulness and meditation. Mm. Um, The preface is actually pretty good for the fifth anniversary edition. He says, Mm -hmm. initially, I wanted to call this book, The Voice in My Head is an Asshole. Ah. Um, He says, it's true, though. The voice in my head can be a total pill. I'm talking about the internal narrator, the most intimate part of our lives. And if we don't pay close attention, which very few of us are taught how to do, it can be a malevolent puppeteer. That's right. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And um, his take on meditation, I almost said medication, his take on meditation made sense, especially when he started the journey. Um, I'm going to read it. I think I have some written, but I'm going to read it to you. This is all still in the preface, which I thought was helpful. He says, meditation suffers from a towering PR problem, largely because its most prominent proponents talk as if they have a perpetual pan flute accompaniment. (laughs) (laughs) If you can guess 
get past the cultural baggage, though, what you'll find is that meditation is simply exercise for your brain. It's a proven technique for preventing the voice in your head from leading you around by the nose. To be clear, it's not a miracle cure. It won't make you taller or better looking, nor will it magically solve all of your problems. You should disregard the fancy books and the famous gurus promising immediate enlightenment. In my experience, meditation makes you 10% happier, hence the Mm. name of the book. That's an absurdly unscientific estimate, of course, but still not a bad return on investment. Yeah. So, um... Can you tell us what the cover looks like? Yeah. It's um, just a, a, a white background with red, 10% happier, and there's a drop of water going into a half-full glass. I'm half-full. You might half say it's half-empty. Empty. Um, and then it's just—it's kind of very plain, I'll be honest with you, which, you know, really befits mm. the author. Thank okay. you. Um, there are 12 chapters and then acknowledgments and appendix and instructions. The instructions are actually guided meditation. And there are um, online tools and resources with this Very uh, cool. updated, so it's kind of cool. I'm just going to briefly go over this because overall this reads like a memoir. Okay. Um, and it's— And less self-help. Yeah, it's less than I expected for being sold in the genre, although we know that this genre covers everything. Mm-hmm. Um so that being said, I thought it was interesting for what it was. Great. Um, it, it's definitely a journalist's approach to self-help and meditation, him discovering meditation and his journey along the way. And it reads more like a novel, but a novel written by a journalist. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and a journalist who has a specialty in religion and researching religion okay. at that. Okay. Um, I'm not going to cover each chapter in detail because if you're interested in it, you should definitely read the book. And I don't want to spoil anything for you because there's a lot of cool pieces in it okay. that I think he does a good job wrapping up at the end. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish everyone could have seen Lisa's face just now. Her eyes got real wide. <laughs> well, I mean. I mean. Listen. Uh, you know, cool. Uh, chapter <laughs> one is called Air. <laughs> Air hunger. Uh, I find that I'm starved for air. (laughs) We all are. Uh, He opens (laughs) describing his panic attack on air. This is usually what he's most known for. Oh, oh my God. Uh It happened on June 7th, 2004 on the set of Good Morning America. And he describes it in detail, how it happened, what it felt like, what was happening with like the producers in his ear and the other people. Why did he have a panic attack? Well, you know, who knows why people have panic attacks. But um, I mean, does he know what triggered his? It's hard to say. I think it's hard to say whatever, like specifically what causes any specific panic attack for anybody. But he talks about his path to that chair, his journalism Mm. career from small town reporter to war correspondent about his mentor, Peter Jennings. And you get a real great feel for what it's like in the cutthroat, fast-paced world of journalism. And he also talks about his drug use leading up to and the therapy after his panic attack. So basically his panic attack led him to start uh, a different path in life, and mm. then eventually he discovers meditation. Right. I can't right. believe it happened on air. Yeah, it was kind of, and you can Google it, you can YouTube it, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you can see that it's happening. It's not like as visual as... Um, as you might expect. I think I know this. Like, yeah. he's just sort of stuttering over words a little and, bit. like, trying to... Just not as what you would expect from a news anchor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which is always a great reflection for those of us, if and if anybody has um, anxiety in presenting or mm-hmm. speaking in crowds, what you think is happening on the inside is not... Is way different than what people are seeing on the, on the outside. outside right? right. The second chapter is called Unchurched. 
I think okay. my favorite part of this book is his titles for the chapter. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You you be the judge. <laughs> Thank you. Um, he spent some time talking about how we got onto the religion beat. Basically, Peter Jennings asked him specifically to cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he profiled the evangelical megachurch pastor, Ted Haggard, and he profiled all different kinds of religions and churches and whatnot. Um, and then, I don't know if you remember, but Ted, Ted Haggard eventually had this fall from grace when drugs and sex scandal, um, mm-hmm. and he was caught with a male prostitute. Oh, yeah. Um, uh he, he talks about how uh, Dan Terrace talks about how he didn't really grow up religious. His father was Jewish. His mother, I believe, was Protestant, but they joined a temple that she wasn't required to convert. And he also talks in this um, chapter about meeting his wife, Bianca. Um, chapter three, Genius or Lunatic is the chapter title. I say both. Mm-hmm. And then he starts um, describing as uh, sitting across from this man while interviewing him on page 51. And I'm going to read this because... I was kind of tempted to put this book down and say this is not good to... Yeah, um, I remember you called me. (laughs) And then I said this is perfect. So this is the beginning of Chapter 3, Genius or Lunatic. The man sitting across from me and completely blowing my mind favored a style, both verbal and sartorial, so monochrome that it was as if he wanted to vanish like a chameleon into the barf-colored wallpaper of this hotel room in Toronto. He was elfin... (laughs) roomy-eyed, and, as the cameras rolled, droning on in a gentle Teutonic lilt. Superficially, at least, he was the type of person who, if you met him at a cocktail party, you would either ignore or avoid. And yet, he was saying extraordinary things, life-altering things. He was making points that were forcing me to rethink my whole, quote, price of security modus operandi. He talks about that a lot. His dad said, the price of security is insecurity, and I'm not 100% sure what that ever meant. What? Like, if you... that. To have like a really good job, the price of that security is that you may you may lose it at any moment. Ah, uh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Um, like to get a lot of money, to earn a lot of money means like it's a job that you may not right, right, right you, like you're right. worried about losing it. Sure. Um, not just rethink it, but think above it, beyond it, and possibly go beyond thought altogether. The real mindfuck, though, was this. Almost as soon as he'd said something brilliant, he would say something else that was totally ridiculous. The man was toggling seamlessly between compelling and confusing, incisive and insane. He would go like this. Zig, a spot-on diagnosis of the human condition. Zag, a bizarre pseudoscientific assertion. Zig, a profound insight into how we make ourselves miserable. Zag, a claim that he once lived on a park bench for two years in a state of bliss. He said he had a way for me to be happier, too, and despite the fog of Falderall, I half-suspected he actually might be right. I mean, Eckhart Tolle says he sat on a park bench for two years in a state of bliss, or maybe more years. Maybe you could just pause for one second. Because the next sentence says, weeks before I heard the name Eckhart Tolle, (laughs) I was staring unhappily in the mirror of an airplane bathroom, and I said... This man thinks Eckhart Tolle is a fucking lunatic, and I am here for the rest of this oh, book now. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, um... Wait, wait, wait. So... I instantly loved Dan Harris at that moment. I bet you did. Wait, so what... he? Okay, so he was interviewing He was interviewing guy. him. Okay. And he was like, this guy is a genius or a lunatic. Who the fuck can tell? Who can tell? Right. So, um, he'd been... Basically, he was like, I would. I was on an airplane bathroom staring at my receding hairline, and I was mm. aware that I had thoughts that were so superficial and ego that were like, I lose my hairline, I lose my job, I end up in a flop house in Duluth. Like, oh that's my what's God. going to right, happen. Right. And so he's like, these thoughts were making my life miserable, you know. 
he managed um, to get an interview. So then a producer was like, you should read this book called um, The Power of Now or A New Earth, whichever mm-hmm. one. Um, she was like, uh, it's all about the ego. And all of his crew laughed because they thought she meant that he had a big ego. But mm-hmm. what she meant was, as we know, that how ego can run your life. Yeah. Yeah. So he got the book and he was just like, I can't tell if this is real or bullshit. Like, I don't know. Right. So he snagged an interview. That's how a lot of us feel when we read Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. He's like, I can't tell if he's a whack job or really real because, you know, he said, listen, are you ever upset? And he was like, no, never. I never get upset. So... You know, it just doesn't seem human. That's exactly right. So um, he said, personally, the encounter had left me in a funny spot. I definitely didn't think he was a fraud. I'd interviewed hucksters, prosperity preachers, child slave dealers, Saddam Hussein flunkies. But this guy didn't give off the I'm full of shit and I know it vibe at all. Maybe he was simply deluded, impossible for me to tell. He's like, eventually I was right back where I was the first time I peered into the pages of a strange little book, fascinated yet frustrated. Tolly had opened up something for me, a window into the enfeebling clamor of the ego, but he had not answered my most pressing questions. How do you tame the voice in your head? How do you stay in the now? Was it really possible to defeat the gray Stalinism of self-absorption without ending up on a park bench? (laughs) I was not about to let this drop. It was as if I'd met a man who told me my hair was on fire and then refused to offer me a fire extinguisher. (laughs) I think that's how I feel about a lot of self-help books. Yeah. Hey, you're on fire. You're going to die. Good (laughs) Good luck. luck. So um, chapter four is called Happiness, Inc. And here is where he talks about him interviewing Deepak Chopra. Mm. Um, And (laughs) this this is really interesting. It was not what I imagined Deepak Chopra to be. So it says his producer and he had decided to profile him for their Sunday World News. Um, it didn't take a lot of convincing to get him on board, and it became readily apparent how this man had landed on the Forbes list of richest celebrities with an estimated income of $22 million a year. Mm. And this was in oh, probably 2000-something. Um, his itinerary was manic. In just a few days, I personally saw him host a satellite radio show, hold meetings with video game developers for a project based on his spiritual teachings, and discuss a Broadway show with a man who claimed he could bend spoons with the power of his mind. (laughs) On many levels, Deepak seemed like a walking contradiction. He claimed to be perennially present, and yet we filmed him pounding down the street while furiously typing on his Blackberry and then voraciously devouring articles on his Kindle while ostensibly working out on an elliptical machine. (laughs) He claimed to live in a state of flow and effortless spontaneity, but he seemed pretty focused on mundane self-promotion to me. While publicizing his latest book, he lobbied a reporter to follow him on Twitter, and when shooting a promotional video, he told the cameraman, make sure I don't look fat. (laughs) These didn't strike me as the actions of a man living in perfect harmony with himself. This was the type of shit I did. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And so so immediately when they interviewed him, he says— Sometimes, uh, and they first saw him when um, they did this thing called Face Off, and it was like... They switched faces. Yes. He became Nicolas Cage. Yes, you got it exactly Deepak right. Deepak was John Travolta. Yes. It's they, happening. They invited people from different sides of opinion. Deepak Chopra and another, and like an atheist, and then a, an evangelical guy and somebody, it, does Satan exist? And so they had this like, it oh, was in front of a crowd and whatnot. And he's like, I noticed you, you got really worked up. 
Um, he said, but even though I was worked up, did you find that there was anger, resentment, or hostility? He said, well, I, I can't read your mind, but judging from your body language, you weren't pleased. He said, well, without passion, you'd be a walking dead person. Even though you're dynamically engaged, you're not stressed. And so, again, Dan Harris what? was like, this is not for me. This is not for me. So he's throwing shade at Deepak Chopra. A little bit. A little bit. More like Deepak Chopra, am I right? Thank you. So um, that, so part of Happiness, Inc. was them running this series of pieces on the self-help industry and people in there. And um, that included people who were contributors to The Secret. Um, oh, I wish we could have him on this podcast. Dan B. Dan Harris. <laughs> Come Dan get be us. Dan. <laughs> you know what? Dan be Dan. Um, uh, one guy, so he even talked to like one guy. And it's amazing because in here he's like, oh, this is all just, he got a guy on camera to be like, because he was like, you can't just think it. I can't just think I want diamonds and they show up. And he's like, no, you have to act. And he was like, well, so it's kind of crazy, right? And he goes, yeah, it is kind of crazy. Oh, and he cornered one guy into being like, uh, it's a victim mindset. And he was like, people, the people of Haiti, because I guess the Haiti earthquake had just happened. He was like, they're victims. You're victims of an earthquake. And he finally was like, yes, there are victims of earthquakes. Like he cornered the guy into it. Thank you. And then thank he, you, Dan B. Dan. Thank you. And he, um, and he, also talked to the other guy who ended up getting sued um, for the two people who died in the sweat lodge at his thing. What? Oh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. So in October 2009, there was a spiritual warrior retreat for James Arthur Ray. Um, and it, who, is a, who is a contributor to yeah. The Secret? Yeah, and like the movie. But he's also like a like a Tony Robbins type. Ah. And um, 10 grand a person people went to this retreat and they were in a sweat lodge and um, three people died <gasps> in that sweat lodge over which what? he presided. It was an imitation of a Native American ritual that he promised would be a rebirthing exercise. So that got national attraction. I remember when that happened. Is he in jail forever? Well, eventually he, um, I think he did. Did he think his way out of jail? <laughs> well, we haven't covered the secret yet, so we'll find that out. Um, anyway, so he, he spent time with with his producer looking at all these different self-help stuff. And again, mm. he keeps paralleling to like what his career, what's happening in his career and what's happening with his journey towards okay. taming this voice. All right. So then comes chapter five and this chapter is entitled the Jew boo and it's J E W hyphen B U. Oh, okay. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I think it's like a Jewish Buddha. Okay. I was a little uncomfortable with it. Okay. So he introduces Mark Epstein, um, who plays a a prominent role in the rest of his journey. He's like, Eckhart didn't, and Epstein is like, Eckhart totally didn't really come up with the idea of how the mind talks itself, talks to itself. He didn't create that out of whole cloth. Right. Buddha came up with that 2,500 years ago. (laughs) Right. And who, who, who said, I think therefore I am? Oh, well, that was Rene Descartes. Oh, yeah. Descartes. Right, right, Um, right. So Epstein has a medical degree from Harvard, and this made Dan very happy. I think he was looking for some kind of, like, concrete. Yeah. Right. So he wanted research to go with his Zen. And um, here's where he introduces some of the main concepts of Buddhism. And as any journalist would, he expresses his concern. How can I be happier and more content if one of the main principles of Buddhism is life is suffering? Right? Right. And um, mostly he was excited to meet a person who seemed to have struggles on their own. Because he w- when he went to, like, a, a, a seminar, he was like, you know, somebody was like, how do I remain, you know, calm at all times? And Mark was like, I'm not. 
you get angry. You're human. You get angry, and then you find a way to yes. move past that. And I think that, right. that really engaged him. So, that engages me. Yeah. So he, I think he was just frustrated because Eckhart said he never got angry, and Deepak said he was always present. Mm-hmm. And I think Dan was like, that doesn't seem authentic or possible for me. Yeah. So... um Chapter six is the power of negative thinking. He talks about his beginning practice of meditation and how difficult it was for him and for anybody who's ever tried. Did he say how long or how often he was doing it? A little bit, but not really. Um, he like, ta- I want to know, like, was it three minutes a day for 10 days? Was it, you know what I mean? Like how, no. some people are like meditate for half an hour a day. Well, I think what you'll learn in this book is that um, that's less important. Mm. You know, I think that's that that very rigid approach is not helpful. Okay. Like I have to do what this person did, right? Oh, I just didn't know if he was like to get into it. You no. know, like head the app Headspace no. makes you do ten minutes a day yeah. for ten days before you can move on to any other yeah. courses. He doesn't do that. He gives basic instructions on like how where how to sit, what whatever. Cool. Um, he. He talks about how quickly he did see the benefits, right, like in his life um, on page 103. And I'm just going to list some of those off very quickly. He said that um, he started to see life's in-between moments, right? He was radically altering his relationship to boredom, something he'd spent his whole life scrambling to avoid. Mm. Um, And he diligently, like... uh, uh, was taking elaborate precautions to make sure every spare moment uh, was filled with distract distraction. He scanned his BlackBerry stoplights, right? Watched that videos on his like iPhone. That doesn't sound like anyone I know, right? Nobody. No, but then he started to see life's in between moments. Hmm. Sitting at a red light, waiting for his crew to get set up for an interview, is a chance to focus on my breath or just take in my surroundings. As soon as I began playing this game, I really noticed how much sleepwalking I did, how powerfully my mind propelled me forward or backward. Mostly, I saw the world through a scrim of skittering thoughts, which created a kind of buffer between me and reality. So the net effect of meditation plus prime. Plus, trying to stay present during my daily life was striking. It was like anchoring myself to an underground aquifer of calm. So um, That's really nice. Yeah. And then he described what mindfulness is as the secret sauce of Buddhism. I, I liked the way he said it. The ability to recognize what is happening in your mind right now, anger, jealousy, sadness, the pain of a stubbed toe, whatever, without getting carried away by it. He says, according to the Buddha, we have three habitual responses. We either want it, reject it, or we zone out. Mm. Like cookies, I want it. Mosquitoes, I reject it. Airplane safety instructions, I zone out. (laughs) So mindfulness is a fourth option, a way to view the contents of your mind with non-judgmental remove. Hmm. Um, He says, I found this theory elegant, but utterly unfeasible. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, because how how do you do that? How do you do that? Exactly. I thought he was just saying, like, here's what mindfulness is, and here's how I got there, and here's... No, that's explaining... That's, that's, that is the one nice thing about this, is that, like any journalist would, would be like, well, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. Poking holes, right? Where I think a lot of self-help books don't poke holes. No, they because don't. Because he's a journalist, he was constantly poking holes. Um, uh, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. You're doing such an amazing job. Thank you. Um, How, at this point of reading the book, because you almost put it down... Then you read the like throwing shade at Eckhart Tolle and was like, I'm on, I'm on board, I'm yeah. in. Um, how how were you feeling about the book at this point? I mean, it, it reads like a memoir, you know, and we haven't really, he hasn't even really meditated yet. So there's a lot of buildup. 
Right. And we are more than 100 pages into this Yeah, I mean, book. he's sort of meditating. You okay. know what I mean? Thank you. He's doing his mindful meditation, right? Sure. So then he goes to a conference with Mark Epstein, and he felt like he didn't belong. He realized it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And so Mark Epstein invites him to go on a 10-day retreat. So he goes. Chapter 7, retreat. He goes on a 10-day silent meditation oh, retreat. Oh, God. Could you ever do that? No. Uh, so Mark, his jubu, said, I want you to come because it'll— <laughs> It'll uh, you'll gain a deeper understanding of your meditation practice, mm. and this is great. This chapter is like day one, day two, day three, and he kind of describes like the roller coaster that he goes on, wow. um, talking about like what his journey was like in meditating on the retreat, and also what it was like to be on a silent retreat. You know, and it's Buddhist, so they're not harming anyone. So it's all like vegan. You mm-hmm. know, there's no talking. There's no cell phones, mm-hmm. obviously. Every moment is cut. There's very little free time, you know. I feel like I would have, I would toggle back and forth between like like peace and calm and gratitude to like extreme anger and resentment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're like, and they don't make eye contact with anyone. So that's not on. Well, because it would be uncomfortable to not talk. So if you make eye contact with somebody, it's kind of natural to just say something then to them. Then are you ever fully present on your retreat if you're not looking the people that you're there with in the eye? Yeah, because you're not there for them. You're there for yourself. So then why go on a retreat? Just be quiet in your apartment for 10 days. Well, there's guided meditation. I what? You know what, Lisa? I'm poking holes. Yeah. I think you should read the book. Okay. Great. Um, there's lots of silent retreats, but somebody has to say like, you, you know, there's bells and like to tell you what yeah. time is something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. There are lectures, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, he grew a lot. He struggled. He had some amazing moments. He had terrible moments where he wanted to quit. Um, and it's good to get a feeling for what it would be like on that. Mm-hmm. Chapter 8, 10% happier. Here's where he comes up with this catchphrase because he's telling people, his colleagues and his family, that he's meditating. And everybody's like, what is that? Right? <laughs> um so he's like, it won't make you 100% happy, but it will make you 10% happier. And this piques their interest. His mom starts uh, meditating a little bit. And he talks about how he applies what he learned um, uh, from his meditation practice to his career. And he becomes a little too zen. So chapter nine. Too zen? Mm-hmm. What is too zen? I'll get into that. Chapter nine is the new caffeine. Uh, here he returns to his journalistic roots, and he presents some of the really cool research about meditation, including how the military is using it for PTSD, mm. as well as like how to remain calm in stressful situations, um, and some of the things that it's been used to study the effect on, including depression, addiction, smoking cessation, stress among cancer patients, ADHD, mm-hmm. loneliness among senior citizens, asthma, IBS, and psoriasis. Mm-hmm. So this is all like journalist stuff. Yeah. Chapter 10 is called... The self-interested case for not being a dick. Wait, I like old caffeine. I thought we were gonna like <laughs> circle back. I like I like Cuban well, coffee. Well, I think it's because people get energized by it. That's what he means by ah, that. Ah, okay. Thank you. I, I wouldn't. He's not coming for your coffee. Do you take one lump or two in uh, your meditation practice? Okay. <laughs> I love you. That was not funny. You it should not be laughing at no, it. Was, I didn't know where it was going. Great. So it was a good turn. Um, so in chapter ten, he interviewed the Dalai Lama. All right. And man, he just gets like I I would love to be a person who's like, wait a second, I have a question about what you're doing and I can just get face to face with these he's people. Also like a veteran reporter and correspondent who has over a decade uh, of interviewing religious people and you know what so I mean. So if I start now, sure. By the time I'm in my mid 40s, sure. I can be uh missed be missed. Yes. Um there you go. Uh he talks about 
he went in with a bad attitude because he hated how people were just like fawning all over the Dalai mm-hmm, Lama, especially mm-hmm. because he's like he represented everything I hated about Buddhism, the opposite of the maxims and thinking and living your life according to the morals and values, but all of the pomp, all of the circumstance. Really? Yeah. Um, all the Hollywood like wanting to be near him. Uh. So and this changed when he asked the Dalai Lama if he ever lost his temper. And he said, of course. The Dalai Lama said, of course. He said, don't believe when people tell you they never get mad. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like our current Dalai Lama, by the way. I do accept that he said a woman would never be a Dalai Lama. <sighs> Thank you. Um, so this made him more likable to Dan than Deepak or Eckhart because he said, of course I get angry, right? In their interview, he asked if there was like a self-interest or selfish reason for being compassionate. And the Dalai Lama agreed and said that ultimately it benefits yourself. And there's also research backing this up. Mm. So that kind of helped him get over this idea of like, oh, it's it's it helps me to be compassionate and mm-hmm. helps me to, to embrace a lot of the Buddhist teachings. Okay. So back to being Caffeine. too to Zen. Oh. Chapter 11 is called Hide the Zen. So his compassion and his ideals of working Buddhism into his career had kind of made him start backing off fighting for assignments. He was not wanting to be a dick anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he was really being mindful and present with everybody and not fighting and, you know, showing why he was the better person to be selected to cover something. All of this stuff ah, happening. He so did a, he experience like a stall? Well, he had a new boss at GMA and Nightline and that this new boss. Good Morning America. Thank you. I know that. Uh-huh. Mm. This new boss was worried about him lost, having lost his edge. So he met with his jubu. And, um, it's never not funny. I, well, I, it makes me uncomfortable. Oh, it's it. Me too. But but when it's a funny sounding word, it is. Which but is it makes, makes me, me think of guru. But that's not what oh, it's it makes for. me think of boo boo. Okay. So okay. So his his <laughs> okay. boss had said, "Don't <laughs> stop being so zen." Mm-hmm. And then he met with his boo boo, and he said, <laughs> um, "How do I do this?" And his boo boo said, "Hide the zen." <laughs> and Dan was like, "Dan be Dan was like." I've worried so much about losing my asshole mentality and keeping my nice guy mentality. I dropped being a force to be reckoned with. Mm. So his boo-boo said, the way is non-attachment. And he said, an ambitious person has a lot of drive, but then you have to let go of the results. Right? So, um, and then... Dan Danby Dan makes this list of things to be successful. He calls it the way of the warrior. And I would cover it, except it sums up a list of all the really delightful stories. He does a nice job of tying up all the things he's talked about throughout his life oh, and his career. Cool. Um, peppered throughout the book. It's a nice wrap-up of the book into his okay. learnings, so it won't make sense without context. And if you're interested, read that chapter. And then in the appendix, it's great instructions for different kinds of meditations. There's like um, meta meditations and just kind of some mindful meditations. It's really great. It, this is the cool part of the fifth anniversary edition. What's a meta meditation? Um, that's where you're sending out love towards um, first you start with like somebody close to you, then like a stranger and then um, the entire world. Oh, that's cool. Um, this is this is the cool part of the fifth anniversary edition. And it's in a Q&A format, which cool. is really cool to his journalistic really roots. Cool. Um, and it's addressing concerns that anybody not familiar with meditation might ask. And, and like I said, there's resources online to accompany these meditations. It's a nice value add to the book. And that is 10% Happier by Dan B. Wow, Dan it does really sound more like a memoir than anything else. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. With a little bit of extra. So how did you how much did you enjoy this book? versus what you thought it was going to be? 
I did not enjoy it compared to what I thought it was going to be. Okay. Do you feel... Okay. Who is this book perfect for? This book is perfect for people who everybody's been saying, you know, you should meditate. Okay. And they're like, go fuck yourself. Okay. Um, or if they're anxious about meditation and don't know what it would be like, or if it sounds really hoodoo to them mm. and they don't know what's up with that. Um, hoodoo? Mm-hmm. Then, like, this would be a great place to kind of come at it from a journalist, you know, poking holes and, and somebody mm-hmm. has kind of lived it. You Is can... there a lot of science in the book? No. Okay. Who's this book terrible for? Uh, this book is terrible for lifelong devoted meditators <laughs> and believers of um, Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle. Mm. Um, and it's also probably terrible for people who are looking for step-by-step instructions from the get-go. Uh, because he doesn't get into it till like chapter six or seven? Yeah, it's really more about his journey and less about meditation. Mm. Um, and what did you love about this book? I loved that he... It, it it does relate to every man. It's hard. He calls it out. They do it, meditation. Did have a PR problem definitely when he first started in like the two thousands when he was starting on this journey. I think it's better now because it's a little more accepted mm-hmm. with all apps and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it did feel very kind of detached and un um, unaccessible, inaccessible. Okay, kind of maybe fifteen years ago. Yes. And so now, I so I think he he was really on the nail with that. So people who are maybe over the age of fifty would probably say, "I don't know how to meditate. I don't. I wouldn't like to. I don't that? know what that is." Yeah. And here is somebody who's saying, "Look, I've interviewed tons of people. Um, I've looked at the research. I've done it myself. Mm-hmm. H- here's how it helped me." Right. And I think ten percent happier is a nice catchphrase. Like, it's kind of accurate. Well, it seems like it's in line with his philosophy of like, let's not put all our eggs in one basket and it's okay to be yeah. human and this isn't going to overhaul your life. But yeah. 10% ha- if we could find three things that make us 10% happier, well, here's one. we'd be 30% happier. <laughs> it, that's just math. That's just math. And, you know, that works 15% of the time every time. That's the maths. Yeah, the maths. First of all, we should call it maths because math is short for mathematics, Yes, not mathematics. But oh, Americans call man. it math. Oh, that's going to bother me for all And eternity. Australians and Brits call it maths. maths. Australians call it maths. I think Brits call it math. But it's mathematics, not mathematic. We get it, Lisa. You're smart and worldly. Unless we're doing arithmetic, but that, then we would call it myth. I've got the myth. No. You, you're a myth teacher? Well, that would not. I don't know. The Australians call it math. Uh, reading, writing, and myth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. Yeah. So that's, that's my piece on this. Okay. If I've given you all you want, congratulations. You, I, you, you know, you've given me all I want. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And yeah. in the show notes, we'll post some of the online things, which I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that's like, I don't like to post the online resources if people haven't purchased the book because it feels like that's something that's it's a, not, a value like if I just If I just type in his website, can I get to them? Maybe. Uh, we'll take a look with that. I'll take a look. Yeah, like see. if it's not like some some special exclusive thing in the book. Yeah, because then I feel like we're taking money out of the author's. Yeah, the Charisma Myth did that too. She she had a lot of like sort of hidden web portally yeah. things that you would only get in the book. So yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, and do you have any any positive palate cleanser for the week? Um, I do have a homework assignment. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was trying to avoid it. What is it? Lay it on me. Well, I am going to give you one of these guided meditations, which is very simple, like a five-minute. There's a couple. There's like 
they're titled Stress is Natural or Recharge. Mm. Or, and these are all of these aren't written by him. They're written by meditation masters. Great. Um, or you could do a meta or a body scan for sleep. Or love it. the loving kindness meditation is meta. Great. Or mindful while walking. I try to be mindful while walking, and I do body scans before sleep. So I'd love to try. Yeah, one that I or haven't tried. Or if you'd tried. like to try one by his Jubu, which is open awareness. Great. Great. So you're gonna try one of those. Okay, great. I'm gonna try one of those. And with that, <laughs> life is abundant. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at Podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.